As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. friends and welcome into rates and barrels we're here at the athletic i am chris welsh joined by Eno saris and we are very happy to have you here today as we are doing i believe this is called the uh project prospect as we've been calling it you know that was dvr's name uh dvr by the way is uh with the family baby's good and uh we're gonna be holding down the fort we did not have an episode yesterday as it was a holiday but normal i will be here for you guys monday with eno uh, Eno, did you enjoy not having a second to yourself on a holiday where your kids were home? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We added a degree of difficulty and had a party, uh, so it was uh, it was a pretty insane day. Uh, it was uh, a couple of moms uh, had birthday parties, so the dads had to do a little extra heavy lifting with the, the mm. kids. We took them to the park, and, and I had I had this like uh, maybe three minute sequence where. One kid came up and whacked me uh, with a stick in a way that still hurts on my thumb. And then I threw a, like a batting practice pitch to this other kid who his swing wasn't didn't look good, but he was kind of athletic. So he pummeled me like the, he just he hit a line drive like. I don't know, like 60, 70 mile an hour line drive, like, like right my, at the, like into my stomach? solar plexus. Oh. Yeah. And I'll, oh, and then as, as I'm down, the kid who hit me with the stick comes back and hits me again. Yeah, I was about to say, come over. I was going to joke that he's going to come and whack you. Of course he would. That's just like, oh, right. leave me alone for a second. People don't realize when you have kids, like holidays and day off, they're not like fun because oh, it's just gosh. chaos that's going on. They're so, harder. Uh, all right. They're so you harder. would have rather been recording rates and barrels and being hit <laughs> yes, by a stick. So, <laughs> all right, that's good. Uh, I actually spent some of the time, if anyone's watching on the YouTube channel, I am quite red as I'm looking on my face. I look even redder. I've been out in the sun every single day as spring training is here. Camps are going on. Uh, I have been to probably five or six of them. And it's cold, so you forgot to put your sunscreen on. Well, that is exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> the first couple days, um, famously, as people know now, Jacob DeGrom was supposed to come out and work with all the pitchers on day one, which was Wednesday. And then he felt some tightness. But also, people were very dismissive of it because they're like, cold in Arizona. I was there. It had snowed the night before. I'm not even joking. And it was 37 degrees. And it was insane. <laughs> And it was cold the whole way through, so I was really like not paying attention to sunblock. And then on uh, Monday, it got me because it was like 79, 80 degrees out here. Sun was blaring, and yeah. I had not sunblocked <laughs> up, so a uh, little red out here. We got lots of baseball to talk about, rookie which I'm excited move. to do. It was a total... It was, And I live here. It was the biggest rookie move I've ever done. So today, I was like, just sprayed out. Everything was good. Um, but you guys can always find us, by the way, on the Twitters if you got any questions related to that. Also want to tell you guys that uh, the 2023 Fantasy Baseball Draft Kit launching soon. It's actually, I think, available. I think I saw a tweet. Our boy uh, Jake Seeley had put that out there. You guys can go and find that, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. If you guys want to sign up on The Athletic, $2 a month for the first year gets you in the door. So go and sign up, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels, and you can check out that article, which 
Um, you and I, you know, we both have, you probably did a whole bunch more. I know I wrote a, a sleeper on the hitters and the pitcher side, which is in there and a whole bunch more you guys can yeah. check out as well. I don't know if this is a part of it. This is very, very exciting. If you guys don't know, the Pitching Plus projections are out, and I believe they came out today, Eno, so give us the drill here. I kind of wish, I told you before uh, we started recording, I kind of wish we were talking about pitching today for it, but talk to us about the Pitching Plus projections that just came out. Yeah, it's really fun. Jordan Rosenblum, um, who's uh, worked at a few different sites around the internet, um, uh, doing cool work statistically, basically took uh, my model, the the Stuff Plus and Location Plus, and uh, made pitching projections with it. And a couple of really interesting things came out of it, which is, you know, to date, the model's been more powerful in season because it comes online really quickly and it can be a, a great way to like look at a debut for a young uh, for a young pitcher or how a pitcher's coming back off an injury. Um, and so in that way, it's been a little bit been like the radar gun and it is heavily influenced by Velo, but there you know, there's shapes and other things in it. And uh, what we found is that year to year, it wasn't as sticky. And that's partially because command isn't that sticky year to year. And partially because we weren't in, in including real life results. And at some point, mm. there's a there's at some point. There's a there's like sort of if you have good process and bad results, at some point, it's just bad results. You know what I mean? Like yeah. There is a point at which you have to just be like, well, you know, Jarrell Cotton, I know this model has been saying Jarell this changeup is amazing, but it's been, we're on year five. I don't, I don't think there's a Jarrell Cotton breakout coming. So uh, what we did was uh, married it with normal projections. Um, and that also allowed us to park adjust and do aging and like do all the things you need to do to make something better. Um, and the, one of the, one of the really interesting things that came out of it was you know, in baseball analytics, there's been this whole thing about defense independent pitching. You know, it's FIP or DIPS uh, theory, which is that uh, because a pitcher's there's so much noise in a pitcher's BABIP allowed, there's basically the assumption that pitchers can't control their BABIP um, and that they can't control suppress hits. They can't control their batting average on balls in play. Our model found that stuff and location made the most difference in projecting BABIP. And our projections have a wider spread in projected BABIP than other projections. Um, so you'll find that somebody like Paul Seawald, who has great stuff plus and great location plus, our model loves him to death. Last year, he had a 170, uh, uh, 170 BABIP. Every other model is saying 270 BABIP this year. And we're like, nah, more like 210, 230. Mm. So that, I think 230. Our lowest is around 230. So. Can you also talk just real quick? We had an interesting one off air if, if you just want to get into it. I know we're going to talk about prospects. We're going to talk about hitting prospects, actually rookies for 2023 on the impact. But you and I, uh, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about this. You actually mentioned a player that really fell down also when you were talking about ballpark factors. And I was like, I had just talked about this guy as a breakout. Yeah. Do you want to just give like the the quick little 30 second summary of what we were talking about with Nick Lodolo and what happened with the pitching plus projection? Yeah, I was looking at uh, Nick Lodolo and, uh, you know, when I looked at it through the lens of just stuff um, and and location, I thought, oh, man, this guy is ready to go. And I, and I still think that's pretty true. Um, and we now have projected stuff. plus. He's projected to have a 105 stuff plus. Um, that's better than Sonny Gray um, and better than Kyle Wright and better than Dustin May even. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's on the level of, uh, um, well, he's not like Logan Webb as a pitcher, but it's, you know, he's on that level where he's got good, but not elite stuff. Um, and then he's projected to have a poor, poor command, 97 location plus. Um, but that's enough for me. I had him pretty high based on that stuff. Plus like Dustin may, I have at 41, and so I had Nick Lodolo at like 42, just right around Dustin May. Once we park adjusted his numbers, though, he came out with a 4.15 ERA. Mm -hmm. uh, the park adjustment for Dustin May is he's got a 3.61 you know, PPERA, as we call it. So uh, I just had to drop Nick Lodolo down. I've still got him in my top 60. I'm still excited for him. And I think, you know, there are Reds pitchers that beat the park, but it was instructive to me to be like, oh, yeah, you know what? This is a tough park. And we have to remember that when we're looking at Nicky Lodolo. 
Yeah, it's a great point. It's something that I was just telling you, like I'm trying to be very cognizant more than ever before about some of these other factors, ballpark factors, of course, also just team context of run support defensively, what they've got out there. Sometimes you just kind of like blank out and you're just like, this guy's stuff is just so good. And I like this picture so much. And you forget, well, team context, ballpark factors, he might have nine wins on the year and the ERA might be a little bit inflated. Uh, Where can people find pitching, uh, pitching plus uh, pitch plus projections right now? I know you tweeted out about it. Uh, there's a tweet out, uh, the, my newest rankings, uh, if you just look for my newest rankings, look on my, uh, on my author page on the athletic, uh, they're, they're attached to those rankings. They're linked in the Google doc for the deep divers that, uh, that have been using the Google doc. They've got full projections in there and we fully projected, um, you know, their bad, their, their line against their barrels against their, you know, all this, all sorts of stuff. So, yeah. um, you can, you can even take our projections and insert them into whatever sort of value sheet you've got, hopefully. And we're taking some suggestions. If there's something that's not in the sheet, uh, in the projections that you'd like in the projections, uh, let me know. Jordan is, is still hard at work on this and, but we're really proud of the, of the work we're done. And, it, uh, uh, it seems to perform well when we when we did validation tests, and uh, you know, the model is already quicker than strikeouts minus walks, which is the other most powerful you know in season indicator we have. So it's really great in season. It just got a lot better season to season. So. I love it. I love it. And uh, remember, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Go and get that and go and rock in. And we'll probably have more conversation around this in coming episodes as well next week when we do the rookies pitchers for 2023 but today we are talking about the hitters that's what we're going to get into here uh, for this episode it is the rookies of interest hitter side for 2023 so really what that means is players that you're going to be drafting players that you guys most likely are going to be taking a look at with your drafts that are coming up whether you're doing like nfbc drafts you're doing your home leagues or whatever it is what level of interest should you really have and that's like a perfect segue before we talk talk about specific names you know i'm curious what level of interest do you usually put into rookies when constructing rosters? Because as a prospect person, you're like, that's what I'm apparently known for now and everything. And that's great. Dynasty and prospects. I'm pretty agnostic to the fantasy side of prospects. I just like don't want to be interested in them. Like, I don't want them for uh, for redraft. It's I, The return is relatively minimal unless they're coming at like a super low cost. And there's a couple guys that are at the top. So like, what level of investment do you throw in, whether it's hitters or pitchers to rookies on just like any given year? And if you want to be specific to this year, you can, because I know you and I talked about pitching plus projection on a certain rookie pitcher, but uh, how are you going to invest in rookies? Yeah, I think my general strategy is I want to draft them somewhere where I don't have to depend on them. And uh, so that's usually not in the first five to 10 rounds. I'm taking people I really I I think are projectable, have high floors, you know, that I I can depend on. If you think about it, I think they've done some research in, into how much how likely is that the player stays on your roster. And you're talking about the first five rounds, uh, they're they're sort of like seventy to eighty percent likely to make it to the end of the season on your roster. You know, in these in these situations where you know, even in fab leagues, then you start going from that and it starts dropping, and then. You know, down at the end, it's like, you know, it's like 10 percent likely. That's when you start taking the real shot. So it's really easy at the end of a draft. And I, you know, I I got lucky in in my NFBC main last year and uh, and took uh, Julio Rodriguez as my fifth outfielder or as maybe my first reserve. So it was way, way low. It was kind of a fluke, and I just got it was just getting lucky. But did you draft that in like November or something? November, December? It was March. I was like, like, (laughs) this dude is killing it. He's gonna start with the team. I like he's killing it. And even if he doesn't start with the team, two weeks later, he'd still be killing it down there. It's gonna be embarrassing for them. He's gonna be up soon. So that was easy. But the process that, that sets you up for easy decisions like this is to kind of be like think about depending on them. So I was, I was available to take a prospect there. It could have been anybody. It, you know, I was lucky that Julio dropped to that and it was Julio Rodriguez. But at that point I'm like, yeah, yeah. Now I'm looking for a, like a one in 10 shot at a, like a star, you know, that's what I want to do. 
of course, the problem is that the, the, the quality of the prospects that you're getting is going down as you're waiting. So see, that's there interesting. Is a, there is like kind of a, a sweet spot there. It, it, there. There's two things in this. I had a conversation on uh, my in this league fantasy baseball podcast with Derek Carty. We were talking about projections. He's the creator of the bat X and he had made a statement where he was, I, I was kind of um, I don't know, pushing a little bit on like the accuracy of rookies overall. And he's like, listen, the, over time, like it's just right. Like, like he he believes in the accuracy reports he gets back about his projections on rookies, except the top end. I, I think the top end is where when rookies are kind of brought back down. Obviously, last year is a prime example of it with Julio and Bobby Witt. Like overall, you could be right about lowered expectations on rookies, but are you really right if like the top three or four actually do work out or three of the top four work out and then the next 15 don't work out. And there's also People this context. Drafted Bobby Witt high last year pretty much got their return. They paid off, but it was like 75, like 75 overall or something like that. It, it was high, but it wasn't insanely high. But the other thing, I mean, that's to the question Carol bet this year, right? And that's where, and that's where we're going to start with this. Yeah. The, the other question does kind of center in my mind around how teams are treating rookies. So, because we now know, they're they're being incentivized obviously to break camp they're being more incentivized than ever to bring these guys up and we're just seeing more of a commitment to rookies overall and that's kind of also changing the scope of when you're talking about the accuracy or you know how much do they stay on the roster well i don't even know if like you can look over a three or four or five year period to get proper results because things have really changed dramatically over the last um, 12 months with how baseball is treating rookies and guys that are closer and development overall has changed. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So that's where this kind of comes into question. And the first player that comes up on this list is the highest player in any draft order. If you're looking at rookies, it is Corbin Carroll. Corbin Carroll actually pulled up um, the ECR, the like the ECR of ADP. Fantasy Pros will have like uh, all the sites. They have all the sites up now. NFBC, I think, is a great one to take a look at as well, where the high stakes guys are. But this is like a aggregate of all of them all different kinds of setups and stuff yeah Yeah. so if you want like a broad spectrum because not everybody plays like high advanced um, so give me some outfielders he went he went uh before because in my uh draft and hole that just finished and and shout out to those guys we find we finished and uh, they, they, uh, they had my rankings open and they made it very difficult for me. So, uh, uh, but, uh, in that one, I got George Springer after Corbin Carroll. Okay. So he went 82, his ADP is 82 on this list. So here are a couple of the outfielders that are right behind him. This, and I gotta tell you, there are some that are hard to stomach here. I'm looking at George Springer, by the way. George Springer is 67 on this list, so George Springer went so quite normally a bit higher. goes ahead of him. Yeah, yeah, on the average ADP. But the next player is Brian Reynolds, who has an mm. 83 ADP. And there's on a perfect here. sort of oatmeal versus upside moment. Yep. How about this one? We want to talk about volatility. Byron Buxton was the next one after that Whoa. at 87 overall. Byron Buxton versus Corbin Carroll. We, we had a, I had a debate about Corbin Carroll versus Eloy Jimenez. Byron Buxton versus Corbin Carroll is such a like such an explosive rookie potential working out versus like a hitter that way. He's the Jacob Degrom of hitters. Byron Buxton is when he's out there. He's electric and he's a 30 plus home run hitter. Speed has kind of gone away. Uh, also I mean, just a couple others and I'll get 382. Play yeah, he's absurd. <laughs> and then just throwing out like a couple other outfielders for you to simmer on here to get your takes on this. It actually falls off quite a bit on the ADP. It goes down to 104 is Tyler O'Neill 
and Seiya Suzuki and Stephen Kwan at 113-114. So those are guys that come right after. I I expected to be more... uh, I expected this to be more ludicrous. Because I'm looking at my draft and being like, man, I got Springer after Carroll and people are, are pushing this too hard. Actually, given the names that you just put forth, I'm okay with drafting Carroll there. Because... All of the names that you listed have list have risk. Now, Reynolds has less risk, but he also doesn't steal, yeah. you know. And steals are are tough. And and Carroll could have, Carroll could steal like forty. So that is this is this is a huge thing for me because I do have a very specific question I want to ask you on Carroll here for a minute. I'm I've Carroll's my number one overall prospect in the game. Some people have Gunnar Henderson. It's fine to each his own and how that works. Um, Corbin Carroll was the fastest player in baseball last year, if people yeah. understand that. And I was looking at the sprint speeds for 90 feet, and this is something really crazy. I, I think it was Frank Sample that put me onto this. So when you go and look, the top 30 are usually between like, they're within like 0.01 of each other. You know, it'll be like 3.8. I oh think uh, CJ Abrams was 3.82. If you're looking at it, you're going to see what I'm about to say. Three point, you know, it was 0.01. It's now 3.83. There is no bigger gap on that entire list really than the number one to the number two player, Corbin Carroll, to I believe it was Bubba Thompson, maybe? It or whoever Bubba number Thompson. two is. It's a 0.12 difference there uh, from between them. And if you take the next 0.12, you go from Bubba Thompson, uh, the next 0.12, at, at Bubba Thompson at two, uh, all the way down to Alec Thomas at 50. Well, Kerr was 3.66, and I believe uh, Bubba Thompson was 3.74. There's no bigger differential. Oh, that yeah, was not, a 90. Not 0.12, it's 0.08. So yeah, 0. 0.08. 0.08. That's what I'm saying. 0. 0.08 was the difference between 1 and 2. Everybody and one and, else. And 2 and 40. That's it's crazy. It's the difference between 1 and 2 and 2 and 40. It's <laughs> absurd. So it's one of those dumb things that we can throw in here. Something I have been very adamant about, and you just said it, and I'm actually really happy to hear you say it. I have said I think Corbin Carroll leads the Diamondbacks in stolen bases, and that's not that, that's they have kind McCarthy of McCarthy and Thomas. They have they have small, some fast guys. That's why it's a takey type of thing. By the way, uh, McCarthy's eighth on that sprint speed list, uh, so he's a fast guy and too. Alec but that's Thomas why he's fiftieth. So like they they're a fast team. It's kind of a take from me on it, but I think projections are way undersold on Corbin Carroll. Um, the power numbers, the guy hit. 27 homers last year. Actually, I'm sorry, 28 homers across four different levels. So I want you to think about that. 30 plus but stolen bases. Tell, tell me something though. You you know about these. So the triple A for Arizona is 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 really aggressive hitter friendly, right? Yeah, PCL. Yeah. What about their double A? Double A, uh, I believe that's the Texas League. It's um I don't it's not on the PCL level. Like all of these are relatively hitter friendly environments. There's not a big pitcher environment. I would, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I want to say double a of the high a double and triple is probably the most pitcher friendly. But if I'm wrong, someone will a hundred percent correct me. On that. <laughs> but I just remember like when we talk about FOD and we talk about their pitching prospects coming through, like we talk about it being difficult for their pitching prospects in the high minor. Well, that was PCL. Well, but that's why Brandon fought like what he did in the triple a was very reminiscent of what Zach Allen did many years ago. Uh-huh. But someone brought this up to my attention. And I'm curious to get your take on it. I have cited this for quite a bit where I've said one of the most impressive things in my mind about Corbin Carroll, when we're talking about sustainability is this guy, it powers the thing that comes up, by the way. Everybody questions right. the power because he's a little bit uh, you know, smaller of body, though he's really filled out and uh, he's pretty jacked If you, when you see guys see him this year. That he has had a 200 ISO at every single level of his professional career except for rookie ball, rookie which ball. is fine. Someone had brought up, though, one of the things to think about with him is he's the fastest player on the planet, essentially, and that... ISO might be taking is is obviously taking into consideration also just doubles and triples and he's just such a magnet to those things that is that something that you take a look at when you look at Carol and you see you know really good ISO numbers knowing he's one of the fastest guys on on the freaking planet and he also makes really great contact do you maybe think that the power might be a little bit oversold when you see 28 and you understand that that ISO is going to be generated a little bit by the guy who hits a decent amount of doubles. I'm looking, he had 31 doubles 
between double A, triple A, and the majors this past year, and he had 10 triples. So that's going to play a little bit of a role in it. So, I mean, how do you factor when you're looking at Corbin Carroll, you're looking at projections and his actual value for this year? Yeah, don't normally think about it with a guy with a 330 ISO like he had in double A. Yeah. When you when you get up to 330, I'm like, yeah, you got legit power. A lot of times I think about it with a guy who has like a 185 ISO, you know, or like a 180 ISO. And you're just like, ooh, how'd you get there? You know, like a story Ruiz type stuff. You know, but with a 330, I feel like that's no doubt. On the other hand, there is doubt about Corbin Carroll's power in terms of he did not put up a great max exit velocity last year, and his barrel rate was below average for a starter, basically. It's not the kind of line that you'd expect in the stat cast stats for, for a guy um, who did hit four homers and, and did do fine, had a 240 ISO, but the underlying stats are a little bit worrisome, and that's probably why... The bad X has him projected for a lower ISO than anybody else, basically a league average ISO at this point, and uh, more like 12 to 15 homers in a full season. I don't know, man. I think with the steals the way they are, I think this is actually a high floor prospect in terms of like, what's the worst that could happen? He hits 240 with 10 homers and 30 steals. And you spent a maybe pick seventy five. Like, are you think you're really going to regret that if you got your thirty steals and your ten homers? Is is that going to be a regret for that type of investment? It's, and it's, it, I guess it's close to where Bobby Witt went, but I think Bobby Witt was pushing. So I, as long as he's where he is now, I'm I'm okay actually with Corbin Carroll. But if he starts pushing ahead of George Springer, then I'm be like, yo, George Springer's good too, you know, and you know he's good, and like, you know, I. So where he is now, like. Byron Buxton, a lot of risk. Tyler O'Neill, a little bit of risk. Like he's actually in the center field group right now, trying to trying to win the center field job. Lars. That suggests that suggests a little bit of risk about his job because they've got like five outfielders there. And that uh, what's very fascinating about that is um one of my biggest sleepers of this year is Lars Newbar. And it kind of maybe creates a little bit of job security with Lars Newpar that Tyler O'Neill is not vying on any of those spots. He's going up him and Dylan, Dylan Carlson are battling up against each yeah, other. It's not so, against Lars Newpar. Like all, all the names that you wrote that you said after him, uh, other than Reynolds, but Reynolds is just so kind of boring in a way that I could see, I could see reaching and especially with the seals, I could see reaching for Carol a little bit, but I, I, I think in this one case, and in fact, uh, maybe even the next name, I think Gunnar Henderson is next on the rundown. Yep. Yeah, and that, and I was actually going to battle those two against for you because Gunnar Henderson comes in at 94, so there's not like a... It's about a round difference. I don't want to say that it's not anything. It's also a little bit more of a premier position. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, if you know you guys are not really familiar with it, phenomenal 2022, and the Miners had 19 homers, 22 stolen bases, hit just around 300 across both those levels, comes up to the majors, hits 259, Another four homers, another stolen base, double digit, 12 plus percent at every stop walk rate and a strikeout rate that got a little bit up there and everything. But, you know, still, it's about the same team context, maybe a little bit worse of a hitting environment at a little bit more of a premier position. This Better is 1A, 1B. And so, so there you go. So four points higher. His bail rate was double that of Carroll's. So is Gunnar Henderson more exciting for redraft than Corbin Carroll. Corbin Carroll, I think, fits a little bit of a different need, but maybe, you know, you talked about floor with Corbin Carroll. Could there be more floor with Gunnar Henderson, especially that it's at maybe a little bit more of a premier position at third base? Yeah, I think the positional argument is the one that might have me have more shares of Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll, because I find, uh, despite what people are bellyaching about the outfield position this year, that uh, there are still plenty of outfielders late. There is some playing time risk there because there's third and fourth outfielders that, you know, are in platoons and stuff like that. But I still find names that I like late in outfield. I do not find that in third base. And so for me, uh, Gunnar Henderson is actually the last acceptable third baseman that I want. I know there's a sad thing about him. There, there are other guys behind that I could just tell myself, oh, it's okay. I could Brian Hayes, at least he'll steal some bags or Jose Miranda. Maybe he'll, you know, hit 22 homers or whatever and have a good batting average. Like I can convince myself that somebody else, but I would much rather have one of the top six, uh, third basemen. Is that six? There's Jose Ramirez, uh, Witt, Machado, Riley Devers and Bregman. So the top seven. 
I you say Riley and Arna- you Arnado. Said Riley, right? Yeah. Yeah, Arnado. Yeah. So that's one, two. I kind of think of Witt as a shortstop, but um, people might play him at third. One, two, three. Four, I think he'll be primarily played at third. So there's eight there. Him. There's eight there. But I just think you can even see it in the projections where uh, after Gunnar Henderson, even in, in, in our draft here that I'm looking at, Gunnar Henderson went in the sixth round. Uh, a round after Carroll, so that that's about right. And then another third baseman did not go for four rounds. The next mm. one was Matt Chapman, four rounds later. Yeah, and that and it it really talks about and and it's something important to think about. I know it can get overplayed sometimes. I've been talking about it as well. That like you do have to pay attention a little bit to uh, position stuff. I, I'm gonna give you a prime example. I'm doing uh, I'm in Tout Wars right now, and I'm in the draft and hold. And I got, I know why I got him fall. I had uh, Jordan, Jordan Alvarez fall to me at like 10. And the the hand thing has people concerned. And I was praying for Mookie Betts to fall to me. It didn't happen. So I got Alvarez. Coming back around, I had a decision between Pete Alonso and Rafael Devers. And Devers has never been like a, do- and this is an OBP, by the way, in Tout Wars, this one. And Devers has never been a dominant OBP guy. Pete Alonso, maybe just a little bit better. Pete Alonso offensively, I kind of like a, a notch better. Yeah. But I went with Devers because positionally he was the last of those third basemen to go. I could have maybe waited, but I don't think I would have got back to Arenado. And I decided in that where I'm probably push come to shove, might have taken him or Goldie. Goldie was another one that I was like, because that's a much better OBP guy. I decided to focus on the position scarcity in that instance because it gets really, really bad. And if you think about a 15 team, this is a 15 team Roto draft and hold. Give me Devers in the you know the middle second round here. Because you're going to have to take position. a second and third third baseman. So you already have to get other guys. So taking your first one high up allows you to like wait a while and then take a okay second one. You know what I mean? Like you have to think yeah. about the draft holds that way. But yeah, uh, I, d- I think just generally I'm in on Gunnar Henderson. I really like the the max EV, the, pa- the barrel. Um, I, he had a few too many ground balls, but he didn't really have a problem with that in the minors. Uh, so I expect him to kind of lift the ball a little better next year. I expect him to speed, steal more because he is fast. Um, and so I could see him hitting 275 with 25 homers and 15 steals. Is there anything that worries you? That's not what he's projected you? for, but you know you have to think about that with with elite uh, with elite prospects that the the projections are not always a, a great. Um, just like even Cardi is saying, you know, like yes, the projections tell you what happens as a group for prospects, but Gunnar Henderson is an elite prospect, you know, and if he's in that different group, then maybe he just hits the ground running. What did you say? Like twenty five ten? Was that your yeah. thought or twenty five fifteen? Two seventy five, twenty five ten, twenty five fifteen. Do you like um, 275, 25, 10, or do you like 240, 10, 30? That, that's Carol. Yeah. Which one do you think fits your mold of like the team? My drafts, you would want my drafts want the Gunnar Henderson types because I want to okay. get 15 steals at a time, 15 steals at a time, and not fall behind in homers. So, is I, there I always, any... so I always win homers, and I'm always like fourth in stolen bases. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been getting stolen bases pretty hard in a lot of my stuff. Is there any worry, last with Gunner, about uh, Baltimore's suppression of power? Three of the top 10 expected home run um, guys. So what I'm saying is the top 10 guys that lost homers on the expected home run stat came out of Baltimore. You had Trey Mancini, who obviously left, but he was on there. Anthony Santander and Ryan Mountcastle. So three of the top 10 came from that place when they changed their their ballpark factors. You think that's maybe like a little bit to think about with Corbin, uh, with, it is, with Gunnar Henderson as well? One thing to point out, those are all right-handers. And the, oh, the good way call. that they changed the wall was out there and left. The, the, pull, the pull alley for left for left field. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, Gunderson, Gunnar Henderson as a lefty is uh, not necessarily battling that particular problem. Yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, Gunner's four major league home runs covered the entire ballpark. You had one pull, one dead center and the other were, I'm sorry, one oppo, one middle, and then two were semi pull, not severely pull. I mean, so just something to, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Uh, How about we talk about the next guy in here? We're going to fall down a little bit of a list when you're looking at the top rookies. Those are the two guys you're going to look at with investments of the top 100. And my advice with people I'd say is no rookie or prospect has a true floor. But if you're looking for the floor, those are the two names. And I, you don't want to be 
crazy and and compare oh, we them shouldn't to... compare i think your 240 uh 1030 for carol is almost more of a floor projection so a floor projection i think for gunner henderson to be really uh to be really more in line uh to compare them is like you know something that like like the bat is always the most negative if you want a floor projection on an elite rookie you look at the bat and uh and so that's 250 15 10 yeah, that's still pretty solid. But I also don't want to be You're right. I think um, the floors are pretty good for these two guys. Yeah, and, and I don't want to be too crazy and and be like, hey, look at what Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez does. So the next two guys are going to do the same thing. It's not <laughs> about that. But the skill sets they're very different than Bobby. Ironically, they're very different than Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt. But they really play to this game, and they've both got you know unique spots. Gunnar Henderson is also probably going to be able to hit in the middle of that lineup. And Corby Carroll might lead off for the Diamondbacks. He's the fastest player in baseball. The next one is a drop off here. But a lot of people are into it. And I'm very fascinated to get your take on this. It's Masataka Yoshida. He technically does qualify it a rookie as a rookie here. In first year player drafts, you're probably looking at him as well. Uh, he's got a fantasy pros ADP of 188. And the thing that stands out about him is he broke every model. Um, he essentially came out as like the number one batting average hitter in steamer projections. The bat X, I believe he was like the fifth or top 10 overall hitter. And we've kind of seen this happen before. Bad X has him at 282, 16 homers, two stolen bases. My gripe, and I've had a couple of people tell me not to do this too crazy, and I'm trying not trying trying not to. If you look at Seiya Suzuki and you look at his translation coming over, 37 homers down to 14, uh, batting average kind of tanked down a bit. Yoshida is a uh, almost double walks to strikeout guy. He was a mid 300s batting average player, but there's almost no power regression built into him. The projections are wild and they're running wild with him and he might lead off for Boston. So this is a unique case of a little bit more of a, of a veteran overall with no strikeout, high walk, tons of contact. I do not believe the stolen bases and I really don't believe the power. But what say you, Eno, when you're looking at rookies? Because this actually might be the most enticing rookie for anybody out there because he has professional experience he's older he's not like a lot of these other rookies and projections love him yeah yeah i mean if we're talking floors he's, he's got to probably have a better floor than the last two guys we talked to just because he's mid-career and he has he has numbers the japanese league numbers are fairly easy to translate they are stronger in terms of signal than you know our double a AA and triple a you know it is really like a quad A league where like those, it's numbers. not like Hassan Kim coming from the KBO over no, that's here. That was more like a, almost like high A or something. I would guess. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, so I, I, yeah, floor really high. Um, I, I, t- I tend to just go into Stephen Kwan territory just because of these, uh, this kind of elite pairing of bit of walks and, and lack of strikeouts. But, um, you know, people tell me uh, subjective reports say the power's there, but you know, a lot of it's tied into like, oh, I just saw batting practice, and oh yeah, the power's there. Yeah, I bet you Stephen Kwan could get into some in batting practice. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I saw that with Luis Garcia. Actually, something very funny. Luis Garcia with the Nationals is one of the most slappy hitters you've ever seen in your life. Kind of a big boy too, and just hits across his body and hits everything on the ground. But I was during the AFL some years back. He but gets his into BP. Is good. He gets into that. Dude, <laughs> he gets into BP and his swing is different and he is crushing balls in surprise to right field. And I wanted to be like, where is this? Why is this not there? It's such an interesting approach thing that BP comes in and these dudes can just start crushing it. And he's yeah. a prime example. So I don't know. I, I would say uh, buy the ATC projection, buy him at 286 with 15 homers and three steals. And uh, then you'll bake in the the possibility he has more power than that or even more batting average. But um, I think if you try to just basically use his most negative projection and pay for that, like you you are allowing for better outcomes. And, uh, and I like that you said that. I like taking the most negative projection on that because this is this is an instance where he is the only rookie not being treated with gloves for, for some <laughs> right reasons. He is going wild. It actually it's very reminiscent of years back when Vladimir Guerrero was going to be his in his first year and Steamer projections came out in November and he was the number one hitter in baseball. He came out with like the best batting average and you know, he's Vlad, but this one seemed a I little bit I remember all wild. the way back to Dom Brown 
Uh, being projected by yeah. the Bill James projections for a 30-30 season <laughs> going into his rookie year. You gotta love him. Like, oh um, my God, it's Don Brown season. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about a player that you have, actually you and I have both spoke to. We spoke to on the same day. This was after our infamous um, In My Truck podcast recording that we did, you, me, and Chris Blessing, when we drove down uh, into Mesa in my car recording a podcast. And then we proceeded to go and talk with uh, Tristan Casas, I believe it was. And Tristan Casas is set to be a starter with the Boston Red Sox. Again, these are players we're talking about that have locked gigs, rookies that have locked gigs right now. And Tristan Casas has a uh, overall aggregate ADP of 201. So what do you think about Casas? They're actually moving Bobby Dahl back around. They're going to experiment with him in some spots. It looks like it is his gig to run. Very smart baseball player. Very in tune to who he is. Has a different two-strike approach. Sometimes some of these guys don't. I like Tristan Casas, but do you believe there's going to be enough impact, especially after talking to him and getting to, you know, get to see some major league experience as well? Yeah, one of the things that was interesting was that he kind of was more of a field guy and he wasn't uh, into you know, some of the more advanced metrics or uh, training styles. And that's not necessarily a negative. I mean, especially because uh, a lot of times you don't care what the player is doing if the coach knows these things. You know what I mean? Like the coach can look over at the machine and, you know, ingest it and coach the player without the player ever knowing that some of their analysis is based on, his launch angle or whatever, you know? Um, so I think it's, it's not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily a negative. Um, sometimes I do count it as a positive when someone's super into it, just because I feel like, Oh, this player is like, like Newt bar is super into it. And I've got an interview coming with him for, for rates and barrels where mm. he just, he talks about like learning everything about hitting and learning a bit of, and, and applying that to his craft. And like, he upped his uh, bat speed like six miles per hour in two years, you know, and like became a much better prospect. He was a guy. Have who you had... seen that before? I don't mean to interrupt you, but like, do you see that often that type of increase in bat speed over that period of time? That seems absurd. I mean, I think that I think it's it's more common at lower parts of the minors. And and so there are whole okay. teams like the Guardians and, and other teams that'll draft uh, good bat control guys, and then be like, here's a weighted bat program. Like, go try to swing harder. <laughs> you know? We know that you've got, and that's why Newt Bar works so well because he's got great, you know, uh, he's got great eye contact. Like, he's got great eye at the plate and he's got great hit tool. So he just, you know, like, no, now just swing harder and like swing faster, you know? And he, he used all these tools together. So I will use, I will think of it as a positive, but I don't think it's necessarily a negative when they don't. And Casas, you know, is a little bit like Nupar in that he's got the hit tool. Uh, and it's kind of a rare combination of hit tool and extreme patience um, that I think uh, could lead to like superstar. Like, you know what I mean? Like extreme it, power too. 
Right. Like there's there's a real chance this all clicks and he he's like a Freddie Freeman esque, you know, like there are some of his numbers in the minors that 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 approach that possible outcome, you know. OK, so I got some. By the way, have you conducted that uh, new bar interview? Yes. Coming I was going to tell him I was going to tell you to tell him uh, that I love him. But OK, okay. <laughs> so that's okay. Um, how about this? Let's compare against the next guy. Uh, we've already given you, what have we given you? Four prospects that have locked gigs. Here's a fifth one, and I saw him today. I'd love your take, uh, Tristan Costas versus Josh Young. Obviously different positions, but both corner infielder. Here's a fun fact. Um, I've seen a bunch of different pitch, pitching sessions that have gone on, full-on uh, hitter, pitcher sessions, and Kumar Rocker, who I, you know, it's not good. It has not been good since AFL. And it wasn't good in the sessions and he gets in a live BP session. And the only positive he had was he did get Josh Young going. He had Josh Young on the ropes. He hit him with a double slider uh, once he got one strike on him. And that's kind of been, that's the way Kumar really dominated whenever he did in the AFL was when he was in complete comfort of the slider very early on. He like, didn't want to throw the slider early. He wanted to try to like establish command the, the establish the fastball he couldn't and then he learned it in his next start and the next inning he's just going to start going slider and he really establish started to be slider <laughs> establish the slider for him and that's what ended up happening with josh young not to take anything away from it but josh young kind of regressed in his major league experience to who he was but he just didn't have a whole lot of time batting average is low 204 his strikeout rate was absurd at 38 percent. that's never been who he was he didn't walk at all really not who he was he just missed a significant amount of time texas rangers josh young starting third baseman versus boston red sox first baseman tristan casas where do I'm you taking, think you're I'm gonna make your investments because uh nine percent swing strike rate to the 13 percent for for young so like casas has more uh, you know, feel for hitting. Um, their, you know, their samples are so small that I wouldn't necessarily take uh, Josh Young's 10% bell rate to the bank and be like, oh, that's better than Casas. He has better raw power than Casas. Like, maybe he does. Maybe he has better raw power, but is he going to have better game power if he's striking out a lot? Um, and then there's this, just this last bit that applied to Corbin Carroll too, but I think he's further removed from the surgery, but shoulder surgeries do scare me. Uh, for hitters. And yes, you can explain away some of the troubles that Jung, Young, Jung, Jung, Young. Yeah, young. it said like Young. Yeah, well, that's, that's sorry, that's German, it would be Young. Uh, Josh <laughs> Young, uh, he had some struggles coming back from the shoulder surgery, right? It was shoulder? Uh, yeah, I believe. Yeah, because he was in the sling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, uh, and Carol is further removed, right? So Carol is has had that surgery further in his rearview mirror. So you know it is possible to overcome it. He is young; the, the prognoses are better. Uh, and you could just say, "Oh, he just struck out this that much this year because he just wasn't fully back." Uh, Which I do. But at the same time, um, for for him, I'm a little bit nervous about if that changes his trajectory as a player. Maybe he's just becoming more st- high strikeout guy now because of it. Yeah, two. Uh, we've got four more. Then we're gonna break down as best we can. A couple might be able to break camps, yeah, we and then a little, a little bit of speculation. Yeah, exactly. Before we well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pair. Fun I'm gonna pair these together. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, start pairing these together. Uh, Ezekiel Tovar, Fantasy Pros ADP two thirty seven. Estuary Ruiz ADP of two seventy four. I can never get out of my head spending time with you in the AFL when we both saw Ezekiel Tovar, <laughs> and immediately you're just like, I don't like him. <laughs> I kind of like just the body, the approach, but he was like the youngest guy there that's he what really i said kind of turned it around yeah i know you were like i remembered 100 percent. i was just like yeah you know he's a big prospect he's kind of young here and you're like i don't like it i don't like the approach <laughs> i didn't like it but i but he also had one of the worst afls you could have and then he had a fantastic season next year so it wasn't out of character um quick thoughts on ezekiel tovar who's got the rocky shortstop position theoretically locked down as long as the rockies don't pull the rockies and go and sign Andrelton simmons and uh Estoy ruiz who i think is a crazy sneaky steal over 80 stolen bases last year, which is even mind boggling to think about. This is why he's here. The team traded for him. Is there an investment you want in Tovar and Estory Ruiz? And uh, do you think one is a better option than the other? Yeah. What's funny is I don't know how good either of them are as uh, players. And so that part I'll leave out. People have heard uh, me talk a lot about the story Ruiz because of his uh, poor batted ball stats. Yeah. But I would like to say something positive about both of them. 
which is I think they have primo, primo opportunity. And sometimes opportunity is more important even than quality. Um, and so in this case, I would say these two are great in certain use cases. For me, Tovar is one of the last acceptable or mm, one of the last somewhat exciting backup shortstops in draft and hold. Um, you know, the shortstops list can get empty pretty quick. And the only guy that I like at all really behind him is J.P. Crawford. And I, you know, I don't really love J.P. Crawford. So it's <laughs> like, you know, Tovar, there's a bit of a cliff there in draft and hold. So that is a, a use case for me. And then the story Ruiz, um, I think if you are just behind in steals, uh, we were talking about a floor projection for Corbin Carroll. The actual projection for Astori Reese is 236 uh, homers and uh, 20 to 30 steals. And you have to think that that 30 steals could be light with a guy that's as fast as he is. And going into such a premium situation. I mean, in, in Oakland, they may, ch- they may go for it in terms of stolen bases. They may go with him and uh, Loriano. And either Blade or or Capel on the outfield, all those guys can run. Tony Kemp can run. Nick Allen can run. Even Jace Peterson can run a little bit. So like you know, they have so many guys on this team that can run. They may just run, run, run. And uh, I don't see why they would stop Ruiz, especially since he was the crown jewel of their of their big trade. I mean, that was the Sean Murphy trade. They want to be right. They want to be right about a story reason. Shut up, people like me that say that a story reason swings a wet noodle and. And that makes it sound like a pancake hitting a, a bat when he when he hits it. They, they want to say, you know, Sarahs, you shut up. This guy's a star. So you know, you're uh, like, I'm not going to say that this is what he does, but if I did, this is what he would do. And they want that to shut up. Uh, by the way, uh, if you want to look at that floor like you were talking about, Steamer has 27 <clears throat> stolen base projection in a hundred games. Bat yeah. X is 22 stolen bases and 114. So if it does work out on the whole season, it could go much higher. Um, I'm the not last... against drafting, especially here. If they if they get more if they get more helium, then maybe it's but low. Right now, it's pretty good. Uh, the last two that we'll do real quick because we do want to hit a few of these other guys. Um, Logan Ohapi looks like he's got a gig, one of the gigs with the Angels, and he's pretty exciting. But I would say the most underrated in this entire list of players that have gigs locked down right now is Miguel Vargas. Now Miguel Vargas did just suffer, uh, I believe it was a hairline fracture in his pinky. They do expect or hope that he's going to be back for the first spring training games, which are this weekend. And it's the end I believe of his pinky. He's just taking a couple of days off. It's, yeah, it's not a big deal. I actually saw him just a couple of days ago. I stopped over there. Uh, it was right before the fracture. I think he's the biggest smash deal of this entire thing. ADP on Fantasy Pros consensus of 280 right now, starting second baseman for the Dodgers. Dave Roberts even came out and said he wants him and Gavin Lux to run more. He's a patient hitter. He walks, he doesn't strike out, he can play multiple positions. I think he might have the potential to even lead all rookies in batting average, and the homers are real. I think Miguel Vargas, low-key, could be a 2020 guy this year, and I don't think it's absurd to really, really, truly think about. And at 280, one of the lowest on this list, I think it's crazy. I don't know if you have thoughts on Miguel Vargas, but this is a target for me in every single draft. All these rookies love Corbin Carroll. I'll try to take him wherever I possibly can because I really do believe there's a floor that exists in this whole process. Casas is interesting. Yoshida, I'll probably get in points leagues, but Miguel Vargas is my target everywhere. You know, what do you think about him? Yeah, I love it. I think that uh, people are nervous. There are the way the depth charts work on on websites and the way the projections work, like the BP projections are out and they, they're going to show you that they think Miguel Vargas will play 30% of the time at second base because they're hedging their bets and they're saying, oh, they have all this personnel. They're going to have days when Max Muncy plays second, blah, 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 blah. You know, and they, it's smart to do it that way. I know I made the blah, blah, blah noise, but it's smart to do it that way. That's the way that you have to think if you're thinking like a machine and you want to put all these guys together. But there is the, just the total possibility he's the winner at the position. And his manager just said he's probably going to be most of the time the starter at second base. So maybe... We should just listen to his manager and say, this guy probably has the second base job unless he just has a poor spring. So uh, I can see something. I'm a little bit more like 275, 2010, uh, but that's still really good for where he goes. And he's going to do do something that's really fun that people don't always think about, which is add eligibility, add eligibility after the draft. 
Yep. So you can, I mean, the best case scenario is you draft him as a util, and then all of a sudden, you know, a couple weeks into the season, you can play your corner infield or your middle infield. And uh, and I think I think you're right. I think he's he's the good one. Logan O'Happy for me is a, a decent second catcher in in um, in, uh, in most two catcher leagues. Same these. Yeah. yeah, same. If you had to pick two, pick two on this list for me, real quick, of the rookies that have a gig that you'd make your investment. Give me. It doesn't matter who. You could say Gunner and Corbin Gunner, if you want. You, I doubt Gunner you will. Gunner and Miguel Vargas, I think. Yeah. You, you, okay, Gunner and Miguel Vargas. Yeah, those are my okay. two. Although All right, so Yoshida here, is just interesting because I I love floor and like there's a lot. Of who was the other one? Yoshida. He's it's just a lot of yeah. floor, you know. Points leagues. I'm definitely going to target yeah. him. Uh, how about some guys that might or have a shot at breaking camp? I targeted four players. There might be a couple others that really hold this. One is actually two. Well, two have kind of the gig on roster resource, but I, I think there's not a definitiveness around it. The other two do not. And I'm going to give you all four, and we can get your take on these, Eno. They all have an ADP past 200. The first two are inside the top 300. The next are outside of it. First, you have Jordan Walker, who is probably the most interesting of this and shares a lot of similarities and maybe skill set that could be a Julio Rodriguez. Ironically enough, about this time last year, Julio Rodriguez was going around 225 before he was announced he got the gig. You've got Oswald Peraza with the New York Yankees, who's got an ADP around 297. He kind of looks like he has a shortstop gig set for the New York Yankees. They really want him to win it. Speed kind of power guy. Oscar Colas with the Chicago White Sox, who actually might be with in a couple days hanging around him. Uh, he looks like he has one of the outfield gigs with the Chicago White Sox set up. They got Benintendi, they've got Robert, and it looks like Eloy would, if you're smart, are going to put him at DH, but they're leaving that opportunity open. And Matt Mervis, the darling of rookies to draft <laughs> in November and December. You know, this was the guy until they signed every first baseman that would look their way has an ADP average right now of 425. And you actually spoke to Matt Mervis in the AFL. So uh, I'm curious, do uh, I want to hear your take on Matt Mervis. If you had to guess who does break with the team of this crew, who would you bet on? Uh, so we had Mervis, Colas, um, Peraza, Peraza and Walker. Uh, I think the most likely two to break camp with their teams are the two that I'm less interested in, unfortunately. Uh, I think Oswald Peraza is going to make that team because uh, even if he's not the shortstop, he's going to be a utility guy for them. And then Oscar Colas, I think the the White Sox just need outfielders. And uh, he just happens to arrive at the right time to uh, to be an outfielder for them. Some of his numbers... Um, come with really kind of poor contact rates in the minors that I think, uh, you know, you'll see, you saw that his, his strikeout rate ballooned in AAA. And I think you'll see uh, that he's more of like a 28 to 30% strikeout guy in the majors. And so not going to be that great of an off uh, an offensive uh, piece for in fantasy because of the low batting average. Um, and he does not come with a good walk rate. So I I'm, I'm a little skeptical of him as a, uh, as like a an above average major leaguer, he is just dirt cheap though at three oh two. I mean, it's past three hundred with a gig and huge power. I I just think I, I like you're him. speculating. Yeah, I I like him in places like where you don't have to depend on him. So like as a bench piece and a fifteen teamer, that's pretty yeah, cool. That's what I'm getting at because you could you could have him on your bench and and wait two weeks and be like, are they playing him every day? First of all, are they even playing him every day? Yeah. And then second of all, what does the contact rate look like? And that's great because contact rate is something that you can actually get some signal out of early season. If you look at more at the swing and strike rate than the strikeout rate, you can actually start to, oh, this guy can't make contact. So, you know, I'm out. Uh, so I like Colas better than Peraza. Uh, and I think those are the two that are going to make their team. As players, uh, just full stop, obviously I like Walker the most, but that is a really crowded outfield. The Walker case for me is that as my draft is coming, I would like like to have a late March draft, and I'd like to I'd like to have see the same stuff that was happening with Julio Rodriguez, where he's playing with the starting group, he's playing in the first five innings, he's playing in the same place in the outfield over and over again. That would suggest to me that they are like, oh, he's our left fielder. You know what I mean? Can like I ask you this though? Every day, left field, third hitter in spring, and he's killing it. That seems like they're I, headed towards bringing him north. I think this is a little telling. Jordan Walker in the AFL predominantly worked in right field. That was his main spot. Mm -hmm. He then also worked in some center field. 
Is there anything in your mind? Because I've had a million questions because because I love Lars Newbar so much. Everyone's like, okay, well, how can you also like Jordan Walker, all these outfielders? Is there anything to you when you hear that Tyler O'Neill is fighting with Dylan Carlson for that center field job that just speaks to you to say, all right, well, Lars gets, you know, whatever right if they want. And then you have another spot open on the other side that maybe they are lining that up for Jordan Walker. You know, Juan Yepes is the DH. Do you, do you see that at all with this move of Tyler O'Neill versus Dylan Carlson for center that it seems like there's a better path for Jordan Walker? I mean, it, it's, it's a little perplexing um, to me. I would, I would just put Tyler O'Neill on my lineup card. I feel like, um, but maybe it has something to think to say about lack of progression from Dylan Carlson. Um, I completely agree with that because Dylan Carlson did do some nice things with walks and strikeouts, but just had no batted ball power, you know, and that's not the type of player that most teams play, especially since he's not going to come with elite speed or whatever. So like, you know, he's, he could work as center field, but the profile, if it's, if it's not gonna be that great defensively in center field and the bat profile right now does not support corner outfield as well. So I, I do have a couple shares of Dylan Carlson early. Cause I thought he's the center fielder. <laughs> you know? uh, I don't think so. I, I, I might be reading too much in. I think this is a tiny bit telling because also they gave it to O'Neill and they traded off Dylan Carlson. You still have flexibility. Wanya Pez can play corners or left. Wait, what are you talking and about? Jordan, trading off. If they trade off Carlson. If they oh, traded if off, they Carlson. Trade off Carlson. Yeah, if they were to trade off Carlson and they but gave Carlson it to But Carlson also has options. So like you could just be like, hey, we need you to hit the ball harder. You know, you can go back down for a little bit. Yeah. And also okay, so Matt it just suggests that there's a winner and a loser between Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. That's what that's. And that's my, and that's like what I'm speculating on here is like, no one knows where um, Jordan Walker fits. Well, they just kind of threw it in our face. Like if you just wanted Carlson to be the center fielder and O'Neill to be the left fielder and you wanted and them in the lineup. if you didn't think Walker was coming up, then you would just put O'Neill in the left field crew. You would just keep him there, but they're yeah, right. not. I think it's very telling. I think it's very, I think it's an early sign to maybe get your shares. Um, Matt Mervis, and then we're going to just throw out a couple speculative ads before we get out of here because you saved him for last. He's a player that you talked to and he was literally not, if you don't count Gunner and Corbin Carroll, he's the most popular player to draft. His ADP rose and rose and rose in NFBC drafts. But the Cubs have been telling us this story that there's something they don't believe in. They've got Hosmer, they got um, Mancini, and then they even brought in Edwin Rios in there. There's something about it. But what say you with Mervis with the Cubs? I'm I'm still trying to read that as just hedging their bets. They're putting in more veteran guys that have higher floors. They want to compete to, from the beginning, and they don't want to depend. It's like our, our drafting strategy we're talking about here. They don't want to depend on the rookie. And so they bring in all these other guys, and if the rookie keeps playing well, I think he can beat them out. I mean, the, the names that you said are credible major leaguers, but none of them stops me from putting my star rookie out there. You know what I mean? If if they succeed, if if they if he meets the qualifications of whatever that they're questioning, if it's defensively or making more contact, whatever it is, if he rises to the occasion in spring, you're right. Eric Hosmer is on like a a super low deal that they could just get it's out of in an instant. Minimum, Edwin Rios yeah. is nothing. Yeah. yeah. So he could be there. Was there anything you, when you talked to Mervis that stood out to you? Uh, well, I AFL? talked earlier about like having it be a positive. If someone uh, is really intelligent about their craft and Matt Mervis is that, I mean, um, he told me this great story about how he was one of the people, remember the draft got sh- uh, shuttled down to five rounds. Um, yeah. And in COVID uh, year. In the COVID year, he was one of these one of these sort of sixth rounders, you know, someone who just got to decide where he wanted to sign. They all had like a there was like a base bonus. It was like twenty thousand or fifty thousand or something. Was and that's all you could sign for. And so basically, you could just decide who you wanted to play for. And he said that he made a spreadsheet uh, of all the different organizations. And on the spreadsheet was a um, uh, what was the first thing? The first thing was uh, who was at first base for them how many years they had left on their contract and what their projected quality was. That's their current first base. He's one of us, you know, and then one of us below that he went to their minor league first baseman and and was like, do they have quality other first baseman in the minor leagues? And then at the end he was like, how many quality major leaguers in position prospects has this organization turned out recently? 
And so when he was doing that analysis, he was like, well, Brian Rizzo, you know, like, you know, Contreras, like these guys turn out major leaguers. Uh, Rizzo is on his way out. Pretty obviously. We all saw that coming. We all knew Rizzo was on his way out. And he's like, and they got nobody else. (laughs) So he's like Cubs number one. I just thought that was uh, kind of a brilliant way to think about just be very uh, sort of, uh, you know, aware of, you know, the best opportunity for you, you know, I love that story. About and so Harris. then you look at his strikeout rates and his contact rates improving as he went up in the major leagues and basically having holding a 300 ISO all the way through. So statistically he's somebody I like that has, you know, good walk rates and low strikeout rates. Uh, and I still think there's opportunity there. I, I, I don't know exactly uh, where to put Mervis, I think he's on like a watch list. Like you want to hear, you want to hear the things I was saying about Jordan Walker in terms of you want to see him penciled in at first base. You want to see him playing. You want to see fewer games of Eric Hosmer and you want to see more of Matt Mervis in the spring. And the more that worm turns, the more it's headed towards a Hosmer release, which they could totally do because they have no skin in the game. He's not like a, he's not like a lifetime player you know it's like it's not if Hosmer had signed with the the Royals they may have had a harder time cutting him right because people remember all the things he did but nobody in Chicago if they just cut Hosmer they'd be like okay whatever (laughs) and if you want to get excited about Mervis you can go to my Twitter I've got some fun video from the AFL Uh, we're running long I'm just going to throw these out if there's anything else I want to keep everybody though I know no listener is going to complain about more rates and barrels and Nino talk but uh, the speculative ads if you will Anthony Volpe, 355 ADP with the Yankees. He's it's my another favorite. Guy. He's my favorite of their possible shortstops. He's their best offensive option Agreed. at shortstop. And I know that there's some questioning of the defense, but this is the organization that played Derek Jeter at shortstop for his entire career. So I think that they might be okay with someone who has great offense and pretty good defense. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz at 370. Brett Beatty at 385. Early. Too early Cole for De La Cruz. I, th- I think he's going to spend a year in the minors. Um, and Beatty could push his way, but he has to push through a lot of, there's a lot of headwind there. So I I think he's actually pretty interesting. And I'd like to see where Eduardo Escobar plays in the spring. I'd like to see what position they pencil next to that name. Uh, because the more they position, they put a position other than third base, the more likely it is that Brett Beatty breaks camp with team. Colt Keith is a guy I like. He is a guy that went and got the ball more. Uh, and pulled the ball, um, you know, a little bit more with authority in the air, showed some power they hadn't showed before, is a natural bat-to-ball guy with good patience. If this power explosion is real, and we talked about it, and he talked about, you know, trying to go get that ball out in front, I think this is a guy who could explode. However, he topped out at high A last year, and I think the prudent uh, organization is going to send him back. But mid-season call-up, I might be uh, pretty interested on dropping some coin on him because I, I, I actually part of the future there. I actually might even push back a little bit. He was injured a lot of the year, and he went to the Arizona Fall League, really succeeded. I think he could go to double-A after his AFL experience. Uh, another video thing you could look at, his last game in the AFL hit a nice opposite field homer that I have at Camelback Ranch. If yeah, you guys I think want he has take power to all that. fields now. Yeah, He and does. He, good contact hitter. This is a great call. Uh, you know, if, it, if it's fair to say... Your speculative ad is Anthony Volpe. Your guy that you like the most who could break camp is Matt Mervis. And your favorite jobs are Miguel Vargas and Gunder Henderson prospects. I think that's fair to say, right, if we're looking at this crew? Yeah, yeah. I think that's those are the players I like. I mean, there's there some other go. guys that, that'll play that I just don't like as much. Ruiz, uh, we'll see. There might be a team where I have Ruiz. Okay, well, we'll take a look at it. Hopefully we'll hear about it. Uh, friends, that's going to do it for the episode a little bit longer as we talked about the 2023 Rookies of Interest Hitters Edition. Next week, we're going to do the Pitchers of Interest uh, over under that it is uh, more or less minutes than this episode. You guys can take the bets and uh, we talk will talk about it. way too much as is, and if it's pitching, I'm going over. I don't help it either. I don't help <laughs> it either. You know? So I'm not going to help it either. So I think you can take the over. Uh, I do want to implore you guys, go over to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Sign up today, $2 a month. For the first year, it's going to get you in. Kit. You can get the draft kit, which is awesome. Uh, Eno's talking about the pitching plus projections. You want to see that. I've got my dynasty ranks up there. Go and check all of that out. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Sars. You can find me at Is It The Welsh. And 
Al will be back with Eno later in the week, and we'll be get, uh, rocking next week as I'll be back on Monday and Tuesday. For Eno, I'm Welsh. Thank you guys for hanging out with us right here on Rates and Barrels, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.